Are you ready? Ready to release internal pain? To find confidence, clarity, and direction for your future? To live a life of meaning, fulfillment, and contribution? To trust your intuition again, but something's been holding you back? You've come to the right place. Welcome. I'm Ian Hawkins, the host and founder of the Grief Code podcast. Together, let's heal your unresolved or unknown grief by unlocking your grief code. As you tune in to each episode, you will receive insight into your own grief, how to eliminate it and what to do next. Before we start, I have one request. If any new insights or awareness land with you during this episode, please send me an email at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com and let me know what you found. I know the power of this work and I love to hear the impact these conversations have. Okay, let's get into it. We are live. Awesome. Uh, welcome, Blythe. I'll just give you a second to set up uh, the watch party on your screen. Hopefully that's Thank coming you. through now. Okay, it's saying live. Let's have a look. This is all a bit fancy, isn't it? Um, no, it's not. It's just saying live. That's okay. I'm just press join myself. Oh, now I'm joining it. Oh, no, I don't want to do that. That's all right. It's all, all good. Yeah, um, people will find it. I don't know if I'll probably be able to tag you in afterwards. Anyway, we better get started yeah. instead of talking about technical stuff when people are watching. Um, already got a few people Hello. on there, which is cool. Welcome, people. Uh, how are you? I'm great. Yeah. A bit, cool. bit cold today. Yeah. But I'm great. How are you? You must be good. I was thinking of you last night in a, in a good way. Yes, I know. I knew what you meant. <laughs> um, I, I did very much enjoy the football last night. Yeah, it's good to have it back, and it's also very good to get a good win. Um, what was I going to say? Oh yeah. So I was. I talked about in one of my uh, stories how calling you Blythe is even weird, right? Because there's nothing that I ever call you, and so I'm just going to go on calling you Lil, saying that's. Uh, how I know you, and um, that might be another story in itself, but probably not one for today. Anyway, so what, what I did want to talk about is we've all been through a whole heap of changes now, and it's been a very interesting little period of time of our life, and I think uh, there's a certain element that's been really quite surreal. For me, I've enjoyed so much of that slower lifestyle and, and all the joy that's come with that. So I'll let's start with what what have you loved about the last few months? Yeah, yeah open ended. What have you loved? Yeah, yeah. What a what a few months. Um, geez, I, I surprised myself because I'm an extrovert like you, and uh, I really thought I'd struggle. I, I really was, you know, worried about um, lots of things, particularly not seeing people. I definitely loved the slower pace um i travel a lot for work which you know there's elements of that i'm definitely missing but this it was nearly this permission and i think this is what i love the most the permission to actually not have to do anything in the sense of um have to be on a plane have to catch up with people have to always feel like you've got to be doing that and um Ironically, I've been busier than ever 
in, 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 in and I guess that's just my nature. Um, you know, my, my kids have been home and, well, they're back at school now, but, and they were like, gosh, you're busy. And, and yet I was busy doing other stuff that I never get to do. So for me, it was permission, particularly as a business owner, to get on top of the business, which I really felt like I'd been missing. Like I've been down in the trenches for the last few years and I've been like working my guts out in terms of travel and, and delivering and delivering and delivering which I love, but then you never get this space to just go, wow, okay, I don't have to sell, which can I tell you, I just loved, um, you know, as much as we need to sell, right? I didn't have to sell. Yeah. And, and what I found was suddenly when I didn't have to sell, my headspace was just open to all this creative stuff. So in terms of business, I've just loved being grounded, Um the other thing I loved, I loved having the kids at home and I know, and I'm not just trying to be a bloody wanker saying that, but my girls are at a really good age. Like I, I, I would hated it if they were two, three, five, six, but to have a, like a 13-year-old and an 11-year-old home with you who are so self-sufficient, I just loved having them here, except on a few occasions when I was trying to video and everyone would come and interrupt me. Um, besides that bit when I lost it a few times, I just loved it. I just loved having us all here and we'd like have lunch and we'd go for walks together. Um, yeah. That, you know, so, so from a business perspective, I love the space. I love not having to um, just be so always thinking, oh, my God, I've, I've got to be doing this, this, this. So that was yeah. beautiful. From a personal perspective, I just loved I mean I live at the beaches so very very spoiled I mean I, I I would honestly look out and go what's this ISO business I didn't even feel like we were in it I mean you just have to see the news to see that clearly the beaches didn't like the whole stay at home thing so every day you know I was going for walks but for the first time in years I reckon like the girls would actually come with me and Muzz would come um he'd do exercise in the morning and so suddenly I just felt like it was again this permission to not be with everyone else but be with each other and so that was that was my favorite thing by far um and seeing my two girls because they're such they're, they're like me they're social butterflies and so normally every weekend the girls are off doing their thing with their friends and what have you and suddenly we had to be home together and they to see them hanging out together and just doing the cutest stuff like they would do one day I walked in and they were doing a hairdressing salon, literally hairdressing, cutting each other's hair, oh, colouring each other's hair. Um, I was just like, whatever. You know, like who cares? Yeah. And and then there's other days that I'd catch them downstairs and they were doing exercising together and um they'd make me dinners and I was just like, I just wanna I actually wanna keep that bit. Like that's yeah. a bit I wanna keep. Yeah, I love yeah. that. And I just want to include. So I just got a comment there from um, one of our mates, uh, Nate. Oh, which is cool. uh, I appreciate that feedback, mate. Um, but for other people, if you if if you could comment or ask questions, because what I wanted to hear more from is, are there any parents there parents there from young children? What their experience was like? Because I know that if my children were below eight I think that would have been a real challenge having a 13 year old and a 16 year old oh mine was like you was like these independent kids working through their work and yes they needed help right they needed help with certain yeah. things but but mostly they were getting on with it and if anything that they really thrived in that environment of being able to drive themselves forward particularly uh, my youngest who is that um fast-paced visual thinker he was getting his lessons done in record time and then you'd be like are oh, you meant to be in class he goes yeah I've finished and so See, that's cool. 
That's my yeah. right. I have well, one child who just Matilda, who I just bloody adore, but God, she killed me. I'd be like, babe, what do you have to do today? And we got to the point where I realized with her, the way to motivate her is we have to make it very visual. And so one day we put all this stuff in a little box and, and things were like it was stuff like shampoo and she had to wash her hair that day and it was she had to put her book in there that she had to read and so we did all this stuff and so every time she, it was like a to-do list but it was a, a practical to-do list and every yeah. time she'd do it she'd pull it out of the box and I said the quicker you can pull everything out the quicker you can go for a bike ride with your mate you know um, but it was like pulling teeth with her a little bit and so yeah, yeah. I, I I think I think um you know, getting it done in two hours is the smartest thing you could think of. But that was interesting to watch them, right? And, and to be honest, to to watch the kids, you realise how well-equipped they are just to be able to move up, you know, move on with this stuff, which was which was a cool thing to watch as well. Yeah, and I think if I think about the teachers I know, I think hopefully there's a whole new appreciation for them because it's we're dealing with one child. Could you imagine having those conversations at 25 or sometimes 30? Yeah. Yeah, and then doing that all day. Like this is why, even though I did a teaching degree, I never taught because my first prac, I remember thinking, "Oh, this is too much." They're like, they're relentless, and and so it's like I like small, <laughs> smaller numbers, and so that's how I've designed my life, right? Just smaller groups because the bigger it gets, the more challenging it is for me. So, for you, right, having that those things that you saw where. Mm. I want to come back to you, Nate, because I love that. Um, the things that you saw that were different, how are you going to make sure that you incorporate those elements into your life going forward? Because there's no doubt that <laughs> there'll, be, there'll be parts of that you won't be able to change, but there'll be yeah. also parts of that where you're like, okay, but if I probably change a few things about how, how I was living, I can add those in, mm. right? Yeah, and, you know, unlike a lot of people, I work from home. You know, I, I that's what I do now. I If I'm not with clients, I'm at home. So that was interesting for me because, you know, my husband's still working from home um, every, well, three or four days a week. So that was, that was a getting used to point of view and that's going to be something that we're going to have to really work together on because he's now transitioning back to the office but won't be there full time. So we're negotiating a bit of that stuff. The, obviously the kids are back at school, but it's definitely very easy just to like get back to where you were. Like literally the day that the um, Gladys said, you know, you're allowed to have a couple over, literally that day was Friday, like three weeks ago. My, one of my best mates goes, right, we're coming up. Well, and didn't everyone do that? <laughs> I know, and literally I was like, yes, you're coming, you know. But yeah. it was, you know, I, I couldn't even go one day without just going, it's okay, you know. And then literally the next night it was like, well, I'm going now. And so straight away we just, we, meaning our family, just got straight back into the busyness of our social life. Now, we love that. We're very adventurous. We're social. That's what we love. But I think what um, what we all realised was we actually loved spending that time just permission to do nothing as a family as well. And that's not something I do well, just permission to do nothing. Like the moment it's, like I'm looking out the window thinking, oh, look at this weather, means I'm not going to be able to go for a walk later. Like I literally find it very hard to do nothing. And so my family are a bit like that. So we, I think we need to learn to be able to do that a bit more. Um, and also not to, for us, not to always just, maybe to say no more to some things. You know, we always... You know, we're, we've got lots of wonderful friends who we adore, so we're always going, yes, yes, yes. I think maybe we just need to go, actually, 
it's okay if we miss out. I'm married to the most FOMO-driven man you've ever met. He, um, as as you know, Ian, he literally mm-hmm. can't miss out on anything. He says yes before an invitation's even gone out. So that's a challenge. Um, but I figure he can go and I can just hang and chill, you know. Uh, so definitely the, the other big thing we did, and I think most people did this, we cooked a lot more. Like I don't know why that was. Oh, yeah, I, I do. We Because we often used to go out for dinner twice a week. So we cooked a lot more. And when I say we, I mean my children because I don't cook. Um but they, like, every day we were cooking a family meal. We're good. We do sit down and, and, and eat dinner together anyway when we cook. But we did that a lot more, and that's, I think, something that we want to stay more. Um, yeah. Whereas we would typically, before that, go out every, you know, couple of times. I'll just jump in now because something Nathan's just put up there is he's talking about so he did have young kids, right, and he was dealing with them. But what yeah. he loved and he saw that the kids loved is being less structured and just being kids, Right, yeah. and I think what you talked about their cooking because we did the same is just allowing ourselves to be kids again and being more playful with our life instead of everything being so serious. So I love that, Nath, because I think you've nailed it, and it's that lifestyle element that we want to take into the rest of our world that I think is just so important. And that's a good point, Nate, because that was something I chatted, and actually, you know them well, my friends um, Belinda and Pete. Their kids are really good at sport, be it dancing and soccer. My girls do a lot of dancing. And um, this is a challenge. We, we're about to go back to normal stuff. And it is going to go back to that thing where these kids are going from school to dance or to soccer to soccer to this to that. And I don't know, I do agree with you, Nate. I loved for them that they could just hang. That We've never ridden bikes more in our life. I mean, I'm not great at bike riding, anyone that knows me. But as a family, we got, we've been on about 10 bike rides. Now, since this is all starting to come back, we haven't been on one. And I just feel like it definitely there was so much benefit in that. It was funny because I'd go around the beaches and I'd run into all these families that never once, I've lived here for 15 years, never once have I seen anyone on their bikes or known with their parents. Yeah. And so that was really cool. Um, so I definitely agree with you, Nate. I loved the unstructured stuff. Um that's going to be a challenge because I know what happens. We get back into stuff and just this life that we've created of competitive sport and everything comes back in and business. And so it's just yeah. going to be, I guess, reminding each other that a little bit. Yeah, 100%. And, and I found that. So football started for us on Tuesday. So, so Dan was there training on Tuesday. Obviously different rules and regulations, but we still mm-hmm. had to go. And it's not. it's no longer a quick trip around the corner it's a longer drive so you got to plan your whole week around that and that's four days mm-hmm. a week straight away and that's without adding guitar which is thankfully for, for hazy that's still on um that's still on zoom and it's like oh good what else is going to come in and having that um set up and and they just added their um let them be kids instead of chasing that dream and and all through structured activities. Because one one thing mm. I think all of us parents need to have a look at if we haven't already is whose dream are they chasing and making sure that, that they're in it for the right reasons. And this is a conversation we yeah. had the other day, Lil, so it would be good for us to really have a bit more of a talk about that and how we'd notice that in different circumstances when, when the pressure goes off, not only do the child mm. enjoy more, but interestingly, their performance goes to the next level. And and for me, that was from a lot of my own learning, was taking the pressure off what I was putting on my child to go to the next mm. level around what he did because of what I didn't get that opportunity. So I want to make sure he makes yeah. the most of it. 
And it was only when I said, you know what, this is up to you, that he actually then came to me and said, oh, I want to try out for something a bit higher. And now he's doing that. And he's been driven by the, the competition of his teammates wanting to be better than them because he hasn't got me in his ear telling him, got to be this, got to be that. Uh, and in saying that, there are probably times where I, not probably, there are times where I still do that, but it's less mm-hmm. of a case of that's the only drive for him now. He's found that drive. And it's like when he runs into those difficult situations, it's just asking him, why are you doing this? I, I love it. Great. Well, are you loving this at the moment? No. So how can you change it so you are? And I know you said you had a similar similar experience, which you, you can share as openly as, as you're allowed to, given that's about someone who um, may or might not want their name share, but you can still share the actual advice. Yeah, yeah. yeah and it's really interesting that Nate says that about the 12-year-old. Mother and I have this chat often about sport. Um, now, my kids are not going to be elite sports, but they're not. I, I'm not. I, I do a lot of sport, but I'm not great at it. But I, And I'm... To be honest, I'm too bloody lazy to have to be a, to be a dance mum or anything like that. Um, but I am around because I'm like, oh, really? I don't want to go to another competition. <laughs> um, but, but for us, for our family, we're all about just it's about getting out and being fit and also team sport and and um, and I don't care if they're good or not. It, to me, it's around. Um, that they commit to something and that they don't let their teammates down. So last, I'll come to the conversation we had, but last Friday night, um, so my girls have to do Zoom dance at the moment, which is great. And I tell you what, thank God, because if they didn't have to do that an hour a day, I, I don't think they'd do anything for this last yeah. <laughs> Like they'd be playing on YouTube or something. So I'm actually really glad. But last Friday night, it's the class. It's a, t- To be fair, it is at like 6.30 or 6 o'clock on a Friday night, a stupid time. Like I'm having a glass of wine and they're having to do Zoom, right? Yeah. And um, so Mackenzie says to me, no, no, I'm not doing it tonight. And I just cracked it. And I don't normally do this, but I said, yes, you are. And she goes, no, I just don't feel like it. I said, I don't care if you feel like it. You were doing it. You've committed to it. I don't want any excuses. Go and do it. And I even looked at myself and thought, oh, my God. But it it wasn't about anything other than you've committed to it and your teacher expects you there, so you're going. And yeah. so for me, it's around, for me, it's around you don't let down your teammates and you also that's just bad behaviour. So they begrudgingly did it, they had fun and and we all got over it. But the interesting conversation I've been having with some of my friends is that whole thing of that self-motivation around, particularly around this time because like for soccer, for example, you know, these kids are normally in a team and they're normally doing drills and suddenly these poor buckers are having to do two hours a day of drills by themselves, which is bloody hard work. Yeah. And, um, and the, and the particular dad I was talking to said, you know, and I'm just up him and he's just not doing it. And and um, and then it was the exact same experience you had, kind of let go. And then he would play himself and then guess what? He'd see that he got a lot better. He'd start to get some really positive feedback from parents and the coach. Yeah, and nice. suddenly starting to do more. And so me and the parents are having a good chat about this whole notion of just let's just keep you know, re- reinforcing those positive behaviours, reinforcing the progress. Look back and go, look, a month ago, let's use juggling, for example. A month ago you could do 20 juggles. Now you're doing 30. That's amazing. Now your teammates are doing 100. Let's, you know, that's what we want to chase. Yeah. But let's, let's make progress. And 
we've and you know I'm really close with this kid as well and we I've, I've seen the improvement out of sight but the big learning as a parent is this whole the more we push and the more we push and we and we do it in the sense of we we know they've got the talent often and, and all that stuff but it just backs into kind of like a you know fuck you kind of thing um and so that's been pretty cool to watch and look you know this is the stuff we teach us to, to adults as well. I don't know why we think we change as an adult, but um, it's yeah. just, and I think it's more because we think, well, God, you've got this opportunity and I never had that opportunity and, you know, and yeah. Yeah. So that's a good segue because that's where I was going to take it next to, right? And you talked about not letting teammates down. So I know this is a lot of the work you do, right, is that going into businesses and finding all the places we're not well, actually you're not finding it but you're empowering them to find the places where they are letting their teammates down so if you can apply what we just talked about then to that space and maybe yeah. specific around businesses which people get but also just around general life what are some of those key messages that that you help them to see so that they can really drive that going forward yeah, I mean, a lot of the times I get people saying, asking me, you know, how do you motivate people? And, you know, I've got this person who's just amazing and um, they're self-driven and then this person, like, I just want to get the, you know, stick out and kick them up the ass. Yeah. And and I always say you can't motivate someone who doesn't want to be motivated, right? It's not our job. You can't make someone happy who doesn't want to be happy. So our job as leaders or teammates is to inspire action is what I think anyway. And so then it's, okay, well, what lever do we pull? And so if we look at the kids, one of the big, really good levers that clearly you've seen and, and I've seen is, is rewarding great behaviour. And we say this all the time with kids, you know, recognise great behaviour, don't label the person, you know, all that stuff. And yet suddenly then we go into the workplace and we do the exact opposite and then we wonder why that person's unmotivated. And so I'm always saying to leaders, let's catch people doing things right and let's really recognise and reward I, my little mantra is reward the behaviours you want more of. So if you want people in your team to um, take more risks or come up with ideas or be more accountable, whatever it is the behaviour that we want more of, let's reward it and recognise it. Even if they didn't get the outcome, let's reward the behaviour. Um, and because a couple of things happen is, is, you know, one is that that person feels good, which is always a tick to me. Always, It's always nice yeah. to make someone feel good. Yeah. But more importantly they're going to keep doing whatever that behaviour was because that's how we're wired. And so I'm always talking about rewarding and catching people doing it right. Now, saying that, I am very upfront as well and I'm, I, I'm not about sugarcoating and it's not about hiding and putting your head under the sand and all that stuff. Definitely sometimes you warrants having a very straight-talking conversation. Yeah. But I think often we don't do that. Um, so definitely rewarding good behaviour. Um, I think the other thing is inspiring action through storytelling. I think um, that's a really big one. I, and, again, it doesn't have to be. Um, and we often do this without even meaning to do it, but it might be some aspirational story or it might be, you know, and often people always use sporting analogies or whatever. But, again, depending on the person would depend on, on the kind of story. Sometimes yes. it might just be a personal story of your struggle or you know, and really being open and vulnerable. Um, but storytelling is a really, really great way to inspire action, um, particularly in adults. Yeah. yeah. And I want to dig on some of your stories because I think that would be really powerful. Um, what you said there is something that, interestingly for me, it is a lot of sport analogies. And there's a book that I read and, and it talked about the forward 
before it was, and I referenced this in another chat I had, um, Paul Rue's book, and the start of it, the book, was this piece called Live Like an Athlete. And when we're athletes, we give feedback. We're constantly giving direct feedback, positive and negative. And in a work environment, it tends to be if things are going well, we hear nothing. And then when people do receive some feedback, which perhaps they perceive as negative, then they react in a, in a negative way. Whereas really, yeah. you can be kind, right? And this is what uh, like one of my mates, Dan, and actually he was on a couple of weeks ago with me. He says, kind, not nice. Nice says, right. like, that's fine. Kind says, that's bullshit. Mm. This behavior mm. is not mm. acceptable in this workplace. Yeah. And But yeah. helping them see that so yeah. that you can connect emotionally with them, but it's also those those clear boundaries, right? Yeah, that's a real, I like that. I've never heard that actually, um, kind but not nice, because it was interesting. Back in my corporate career, many moons ago, God, it feels like forever ago now, um, but I was in obviously the HR director role, and, and often this is interesting to me. One of the biggest bits of criticism that people used to come to me as a HR director, right, frustrations with their boss, was I wish my boss would tell me what I needed to do to get a promotion. So in other words, they might, you know, have their performance review and they sugarcoat everything and, yeah, everything's great. And so then this person goes, oh, cool, so can I put my hat in the ring for that promotion? Oh, no, 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 you're not ready. Yeah. And so to me, being a good leader or a teammate, whatever that is, it is about giving feedback, both constructive and and definitely positive. You know, if you're just always positive, it becomes that Pollyanna effect, like everything amazing and, you know, and the problem is then they sweep everything under the carpet and it loses its yep. impact. So to me, it's definitely around, it, to me, it's around straight talking and just that, that involves a lot of trust though and that's the problem, right? People don't take that time to create the trust, which sporting teams do. You know, they spend a lot of time on building their team, getting to know yeah. each other's strengths and limitations. They've built that trust. And so suddenly when I'm happy, if my teammate says to me, you know what, Blythe, you, you know, pull your head in, that was out of line. I know that their intention is from love and not just being a dickhead. Whereas if I don't have that trust, well, suddenly I'm going to get defensive. And so one of my favourite sporting guys, and I know this is a little non-Australian, but it's Gilbert Anoka, um, which is the All Blacks mental skills coach. He was a he was a, and I got to meet him. So I've always yeah, wow. loved his work, um, and I've always kind of and I was even in New Zealand. It was probably last year now. I've lost track of time, and I was running some stuff over in New Zealand, and and I was talking about brain friendly environments and all this stuff. And I and I use a lot of his little um, mantras and things. He's got the no dickheads policy and all that stuff, and. So I was using a lot of this and then the next day I'm at the conference and I was at the back because I'd already spoken. I was at the back, you know, just watching and no word of a lie. I, I look like next to me and here he is sitting next to me because he's about to get up on stage and I went into this little like kind of little girl crush. Um, <laughs> I was a bit shocked for a start. And so I, and I had a good chat with him in the break and, um, and you know, I was just saying I just, I just love your work and what have you. And he said the big turning point for them as a team, the All Blacks back in the day, was vulnerability. He said when they, and I know everyone talks about vulnerability now, but it was so interesting to hear it in a male, you know, these are big, blokey male guys, right? Yeah. And he said the moment you just started to open up about, you know what, I don't have that answer and I don't know that, he said that was the absolute 
game changer for them as a team. And the other big thing that he is kind of famous for is that no dickheads policy, which I love because it's exactly what you said. It's around here's the, I guess, aligned behaviours. This is the These are the behaviours that make up the all blacks, whatever they are. Yep. And if everyone agrees to those and what have you, and, and a lot of it is around, you know, you sweep the sheds, it's in, and the big one is around, it doesn't matter if you're the most talented player on the field, your those behaviours still apply to you. And, and the bit I love about the no dickheads policy is that um, if you are being a dickhead, in other words, you're not, you know, you're not rocking up to training or you think you're too good and so you just whatever it is in their world, that it's not just the coach that can pull you up. And I think this is the big thing in, in yes. really great teams. It's each other. The, the other teammate goes, Blythe, you know, just because you're the best player or just because you're getting the most sales or whatever it is in your world doesn't mean you don't rock up to the meeting, doesn't mean you just waltz in late, doesn't mean you just sit on your, your phone while we're all talking and they hold each other accountable. And to me... Yeah. When you do that, that's when you know you're in a you know high performing team. When you can start to do that, it's not easy to get to that, right? Because that's trust. No, and that's that's having every individual having those tough conversations with themselves. And what if we being topical um, for anyone watching the Last Dance or has watched it, oh, the, the real transformation, right, for for Jordan was when Jackson became the coach and said, "We're actually going to do this different offense, which is going to allow your players to come into it." And it took their whole performance to another level. And, we, you know, the rest is history. But I remember a conversation with Luke Longley, and he's typically very private, which is why he wasn't on that. But he talked about oh, saying, yeah, when he first joined the Bull, not because he, he was there before Jordan came back, but when he was first training with Jordan, Jordan would get these passes to him. He didn't even know where they came from. There was no gap, and the ball would hit him in the chest. And he said Jordan would be screaming at him, and it was suddenly a realisation for him that, okay, this is a team environment. I've got to go step up to another level. But that was Jordan in, in his second stint when he very much knew the value of team. And if you look at the later highlights, when Longley is always mm-hmm. waiting for that pass, some really awesome highlights as an Aussie, seeing that the Jordan highlight is on the end of a quick give and go with Luke. And, um, yeah, I like that because they, they – I, I, I just finished that actually on um, last weekend when it was raining all weekend. I loved it. It was yeah. – and I now am desperate to read Phil Jackson's book because he is – that was – he's undoubtedly the best coach probably ever. He, he was amazing. And, and that was a big call back then, you know, in the – what was it? In the 80s to be suddenly uh, saying the best player. It was, yeah, yeah, that was that was amazing. Yeah, actually, I want to. Yeah, absolutely. I need to. I need to read that as well. It's one of those ones that's been on the list and never got there. But his ability to connect with people, even Dennis Rodman at their level, was just phenomenal. One one thing I just like that's come to mind now, and I, there's a post in this that I that I've sort of half written, but it was actually seeing that even though Jordan was so driven and he had all those things, he had mm-hmm. some different moments of emotion. One of them was clearly around his father, right, which which I definitely oh. related to. But there was another moment, which I don't know if other people noticed this, but but I, this is the sort of things I'm looking out for, is that when he said, if you don't want to play this way, then don't play. And he, and he actually, mm-hmm. like, um, he got a bit choked up. And it's like, mm-hmm. for me, I straight away mm-hmm. go, you know, people talk about his eyes and maybe he's got some illness, what I know about illness is that it's often, uh, not often, it's a reflection of what's happened in our life, right? So illness like mm-hmm. dis-ease is when we're, at, we're not at ease in our body from whatever turmoil we're going on internally. And clearly whatever drove him was a pattern that perhaps had gone back since playing with his 
brother in the backyard where like, that's the message I was thinking. He probably heard that from his brother again and again. If you don't like playing this way, don't play. And this was a kid yeah. that went, I'm going to keep playing. And they talk about how his progression yeah. went quickly, but there's still some trauma left over around that. So even the greats have to have like some space to actually to heal. And I'm hoping that that whole process was really healing for mm. him. So, so what I wanted to go. It was such a great program. I loved it, and yeah. I loved I love seeing that emotion, and I love seeing the teammates talk. I think it was Steve Kerr. I can't remember now. There were so many of them, but when when he showed this emotion and he broke down, they said this was the first time we saw him as human. We thought yeah. he wasn't human before that, and yeah. I thought how interesting because as like as a leader sometimes, and I, and I hear this, and, and, I, and I don't want to be um, just saying it's men, but often males will say to me, you know, no, 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 I can't, I can't show that because I'm the boss and I, I wouldn't want my team to get them to think that I didn't, wasn't in control, right? And, yeah. um, and I say to people, and this is, and I remember having this very open conversation with, a, he would have been maybe 60 years old, this man, been a leader for 30 years, IT guru, so very logical. Yeah. And and I said to him, you know, you're human and actually like attracts like. So the moment they see this emotion, they're going to go, oh, thank God, he is human. Like it's not yeah. just me. And, and that connects people. And I felt that was that was really interesting when that teammate said, oh, it was the first time we'd actually seen emotion that wasn't anger or, you know, passion um, yeah. that yeah. made them feel like this guy, more like us. And you're 100% right. And it is predominantly men who don't open up. And it's why that there's more of that that tension, that space. It's not to say that there aren't women who still aren't able to sure. have that vulnerability, but it but it's mm. it, to me it's a patterning of, of generations. One of the real realizations for me was the same with our kids, right? They want us to be human and they want to see emotion from us. And the moment that you allow yourself to be vulnerable in front of them and 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 cry or just go shit's not working or whatever it is then suddenly they have that almost a relief valve just goes off where that release valve where they just like oh that it's okay i don't have to sit there and feel like I, this is not okay and it's amazing what one of the things i wanted to touch on lil for you was we talked about this the other day as well was like how much even though we do what we do and it's our job to show up and be our best self for the people that we're guiding and helping, we go through our own fair share of like really, really challenging situations. I remember when I went and watched you do one of your workshops, you called it the oh shit moment. And those don't stop, right? We still have those moments where we where, where life happens and we have to deal with them. So mm-hmm. if, if you could think of one story perhaps where that really broke you down, but but maybe the, the important part of that is what you then learned about yourself on the other side of that, which which had such a positive effect. Mm-hmm. Personally or professionally? Mm-hmm. Um, let's go personally. Oh, okay, geez. Um, yeah, geez, okay. Um, plenty of oh shit moments throughout my life, plenty still. Um, It is funny because people always just assume, oh, you've got your shit all together. And I think you are right with with raising two daughters. I'm I'm the one they model definitely, for better or for worse. Um, I see the good bits and I definitely see the bad bits as well. And so I'm very conscious that I don't seem like I've got everything sorted all the time because I don't. 
but I also know that they need certainty in times of chaos as well. So there's a time and place for, for how much I divulge of things. Look, there, obviously there's some big moments um, personally. Oh, geez, where do you start? Um, if you can't think of one, I'll think of a couple that I know, but you, you see how you go. Yeah, like, uh, look, like are you talking like the – the big, the big ones, like the. Yeah. the why, why not? If we're gonna, if we're gonna talk, we're gonna be open about sharing the yeah. challenges we've had. Let's go big ones. Why not? <laughs> um, yeah, okay. Um, so, like, are we talking? Yeah. Look, um, I don't know. I guess the biggest challenges for us um, as a family and personally. So, running my own business, so I obviously was in a corporate career and um, loved my corporate career and seemed crazy to give it up actually to go on my own um so with that comes uncertainty and all that stuff but that was all good um and then a few years into that um so i guess the big the big ones were really tested um tested us as a family but also just yourself personally was was probably the house fire that was probably um one of the big ones kind of big one isn't it um quite quite hard yes one of the big ones well you know it doesn't happen that regularly but yeah so it just seems so long ago now but it really wasn't Mm. so um just to set the scene there a little bit i guess um we were doing a little bit of a reno just to make the we may had to make that call we either moved out or we had to do a bit of a reno just to be able to live where we were living and we decided to reno and um, I'll never forget this day because I was up in Darwin working and so I travel a lot, like I said, in this particular year I was travelling a lot and I was in Darwin and um, it was a public holiday here in Sydney and so I was up in Darwin So I, and, I, and I was with a client. Actually, uh, it wasn't even a client, it was a prospective client so I didn't know this woman and, uh, and I could see my phone ringing. And I just ignored it. And then, you know, when it keeps ringing and you keep looking and by about the fourth time when I realised it was my neighbour, I said to her, do you mind if I just get this? Because this is unusual that my neighbour's calling me. Yeah, no, sure. And uh, I just never forget those words because um, Brigitte said to me, oh, just, you know, where are you? And I said, I'm in Darwin. Why? And she said, oh, just where are the kids? And then so suddenly when you hear that, you know, the, yeah, the heart, heart sinks. Yeah. And, and I was like, well, and I said where they were and I said, why? And she said, oh, because your house is on fire. <laughs> so, and the reason why I shared that I was with this prospective client because there was a lot of swear words that came out that I just, I was just like, fuck, fuck, you know. <laughs> I just couldn't stop swearing. And then she's like, are you okay? And I remember putting the phone down and, and then we went back to this, the funny thing was we went back to this meeting. I was like, mm-hmm. And she goes, no, I don't think we should have the meeting. How about I take you to your hotel? And I was like, thank you. Good idea. So she yeah. took me back to the hotel. Anyway, long story short, yeah, so there was a house fire. And I remember saying to Miles that night, like, what are we talking? Are we talking, you know, just the kitchen? And um, and he goes, oh, I'm not sure when allowed in. And what I didn't know about fires was actually a lot of the damage is done from the smoke and the when the um, fire is coming in, they, make, they, they just cover your house with water. Yeah. And so that was so that took us on a long journey of four months of fighting with insurers. Um, that was probably the most testing part of that whole thing. Um, me and insurance companies are not friends. It was a really that was it taught me a lot about um, 
about who I didn't want to be, like dealing with these insurance companies and, and that if you've ever done that, um, whether it's house insurance, car, life insurance, whatever it might be, travel insurance now, I guess a lot of people are doing, it was really hard and it was four months of uncertainty um, because they were fighting us to the night. Everyone was just passing the buck. And so and meanwhile, we didn't have a house. It was literally getting gutted. And so, so suddenly you're fighting for your livelihood. And I turned into this person that was like, you you don't fight with mama bear. It was kind of interesting when I look back at how um, assertive I got. And I just told Murray to keep out of it because he was useless at it all. And I said, you know what, I'll deal with them. And, um, and, and I learned a lot in that time about how amazing people are and how um, – blessed we were as a family to have these people just who would just openly say, come and live with us. And, you know, my best friend obviously is amazing and we went and lived with her and the amount of stuff people would help you with um, was incredible. And so I, I think actually, you know, despite it was a year of hell, it was a year of rebuilding and just fighting and um, and I and – I, I think I walked out of that thinking, God, like imagine if you're some poor person who, I mean, I've got a background in industrial relations, so I kind of get that a little bit. But yeah. imagine if you didn't. And imagine if you just get so walked over. And so I was already, you know, a bit anti-insurance companies. Anyway, it all worked out fine. We've got an amazing place and, and we moved back in and, and, you know, it was amazing. Um but then I guess with the next little hurdle, so already that was a tough year, but it was, a, it was, but in fact, it brought us together as a team and a family and as a, as a people around us and um, my family and friends and all that stuff, we probably were never closer. And my best friend formed relationships with my girls that you could never form if it wasn't for that. Yeah. Um, you know, she's like the mother that they don't, you know, the other mother to them, that's Tani for all of you who know Tani. Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah. And, and even now, um, living on the other side of the country, she still, you can tell, still has that really deep connection because of that. Oh, my girls, like every day, they, they miss her and they FaceTime her. And like, without a doubt, if that didn't happen, that fire, they would have a friendship and a relationship, but there's no way it would be the level that it is. And, and so they're the things that in adversity, you just go, yeah, okay, whatever house, yeah, okay. Um, but that stuff you can't get, you know, you can't. How do you manifest those relationships without sometimes going to the worst parts? And I think that, you know, yes. I think that yes. was definitely a learning um, for us as a family and just the support um, was incredible. So moving back into the place was incredible. It was fun. And, you know, it was actually my 40th birthday. We literally moved in. So it was like party. Um, and then it was what? 8th of September, so so 25th of September to the 8th of September, two weeks later. Um, again, one of those defining moments that you'll never forget. And the girls and I were standing, it was 6.30 at night, and they we said, let's go out for dinner tonight. It was a Thursday night. And then um, they ran, I just remember it so clearly, they ran to the window and they said, Daddy's home, because they heard a motorbike. And um, then we realised it wasn't Daddy. And then, um, and then, I, and then I said, that's weird. You should be home by now, you know, when you have that moment of like, what yeah, time is it? Yep. Yeah. You know, because we'd, we'd text and said, yep, yeah, cool, we're going out for dinner, all that stuff. And it was just, again, one of those weird moments. I said, I'm just going to ring Dad. And, and Mackenzie, who was nine, goes, but, Mum, he's not going to answer. He's on his motorbike. I was like, yeah, I know, but I'm just going to, just in case he's got stuck chatting. And so, again, I rang, but I really didn't expect the phone to pick up. 
I literally thought, I'll just ring and then at least if it doesn't answer, I know he's on his way home. And so then when the phone answered and this person said, hello, it's Duncan, yeah. I did these ones. I was like, Duncan? I've rung the wrong number, you know? Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah. anyway, and then he said, hi, I'm with your husband. He's had a motorbike accident and um, we're at Royal North Shore. And, like, if the if the phone call for the um, house gave me that pit in the stomach, this one was, like, I felt like I was actually going to vomit. Terror, right? Um, Terror. Yeah. And that was, you know, again, a whole lot, another interesting journey that the family went on. Yeah. He made it through. Yeah, yeah well, yeah. it's interesting because as soon as you started talking about it, I just, like, went straight back to straight two back. moments. And, and one of them was, well, the day that it happened – and talking to my brother about this might not go well, right? Like, mm. and and then and then when it did, and then talking to you, I was actually at the footy, right? So Swans GWS, it's a final, and my son's going, "What's wrong? What's wrong?" And I'm listening to you recount the events oh, of that God. day, and and just like, man, like, yeah, I remember ringing my brother actually at the hospital because he had to go in for urgent open heart surgery. And, um, and and actually, they were basically saying to me, where are the girls to say goodbye? And I'm like, the fuck? Like, are you kidding me? And, yeah. um, and, it, and, and it was interesting who I called. It was interesting that I called my brother and he's a CEO and all that and he was, he was getting pitched to all, all these people were in a pitching meeting to him, bless, and he's literally just ditched them all at this meeting and said, I've got to go. And, um, and he came to Royal North Shore. He was literally there in 10 minutes and I just burst into this because I, I was I was convinced. I was like, he's not gonna make it. He's going in for eight hours surgery and he's not gonna make it. And um he he was just so sweet. He just he didn't say anything. He just was like, come on Bruno and then off he takes me. Yeah. Um it's all very surreal now, but Yeah. Um, and we're still we're still fighting with insurers over that four years later. That's why me and insurers we're not friends. Ah. Mm. <laughs> uh. Yeah, there's probably another story there, but we might leave that one for the time being. But I think, I think again, like, to me, like just even my experience then is the power of what has happened to our past immediately takes us back. And so often there's a negative element attached to that. And and so it, clearly there's something I need to have a think about there for me because it's like, holy shit, I've got a whole heap of grief still attached to that. Mm-hmm. And like thinking now, I actually need to ring him when we get off this ride because I'm like, so we chatted probably about six months ago and it was like, yeah, well, actually it's not that long. It's probably about two months ago and it's like, okay, we've got to catch up soon and we haven't done it right. And so, yes, there's yeah. been different circumstances, but the golf courses were still open. We could have done that. So oh, it's about- we going, don't worry. Don't <laughs> yeah, worry, Ian. Since this incident, he likes to tell me <laughs> that he's not going to miss out on anything anymore. I'm like, uh, dude, yeah. that was four yeah. years ago. We can move on now. Um, yeah, absolutely. But um, it, you know, and to answer your initial question, I think, you know, when I, it was a shitty kind of couple of years and yet it wasn't. Like I, I truly, I people would say to me, were you angry? And there's a whole lot of reasons why people are saying that. He wasn't supposed to get open up for heart surgery, yada, yada. Um, so it was a mistake and, um and, and it was so interesting when people would ask me if I was angry. I oh, had yeah. zero anger. Um, oh, did you? Right. Yeah. The amount of people that asked me. I mean, I was angry at the guy that did it only because he pissed off and literally didn't take any responsibility. That's a whole other case. But 
the actual, I, I felt zero anger. I was so um, overcome with gratitude. And I know everyone talks about gratitude um, and yet gratitude was the only thing that I felt. It was just like gratitude for these doctors who are unbelievable and um, the support of everybody and just I, I, I never felt more connected to people um, at that time. And, 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 and actually even, so I didn't know Murray's teammates very well. And I had his phone and it was such an overwhelming time because the amount of people calling you and texting you and all that stuff, and they were all doing that to, to his phone. And it probably wasn't until I reckon oh, six weeks later, eight weeks later when he was kind of recovering that I said, oh, you might want to look through your phone. Like there's a heap of messages. And I just remember this day him looking through the phone and getting so emotional going, I can't believe all these people have come out of the woodwork and just so supportive. And so it was yeah. a very much time for us where we just felt loved and 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 grateful. And then it just made us just keep going, you know what, let's just keep living, which is kind of what we try to do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think you've, you've really touched on something powerful there because I think in, even in the depths of our darkest days, that, that we can still find that. And I can I can distinctly remember, it's actually one of the key things for me of wanting to then change the way I was living was was two elements was when we went to the, my, my dad's, um, the crematorium was first and I'm just overwhelmed with um, how many people. A funny story within that, my dad's a twin. And so when, when his twin brother was there, that freaked people out like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> you can laugh now, right? But, but, um, but like the... the the overwhelm of just the magnitude of how many people this impacted and then and then at the service back at the church the same thing and how emotional other people were and and then like I also think of another time where um well yeah it had a big impact for me because it's like this this man in my life had such a positive impact on people yeah. I'm not doing that and and, oh, wow. I want, and I want to be able to doing more to be able to do more of that. And I also think about another one of our mates, and you remember uh, the um, uh, young Benjamin with the, the the facial injury, which same sort of thing, right? He, he went pretty close to dying, but he talked about the same mm. thing. It was like a real spiritual experience because yeah. suddenly he just felt so loved, like he probably hadn't for yeah. a long time. And, and when I say spiritual, I think people can misrepresent that. And yes, there are elements that you can go deeper in all sorts of different directions, mm. but ultimately it's like one of your mates, Brene Brown talks about, it's our relationship with self and our relationship with our community. And when we go through painful moments in our life mm. and this outpouring of support for, from other people, which deeply positively impacts us, then mm. that's just something that like, you can't get at that depth unless you've gone through some pain, right? Yeah, that's right. And it's being open to that too, like open open for help and open for um, being vulnerable. And, and I think that's the thing people don't like. They don't like to show that side, but absolutely that being open and, and willing for allowing people to help you um, because then they're, it's a gift. And, and, you know, it's a gift what your dad gave you, that, that yeah. you felt that that was the and for us, you know, we always travel and we always, but I guess it did make us go, you know what, and we all, everyone always says life's short, yada, yada, we all say stuff, but then we go back into that busy, crazy world. And that's why, back to the original stuff you asked me about, about this COVID period and everything, again, it's that time, it's that forced time to go, 
right, slow down, do this. What are you yes. really wanting in your career? What do you really want in your family? What do you really want? And then stop making a spree and do it or don't do it. And and for us, you know, we any time I'd get a bit funny about money, oh, I better not do that because I want to save for this, we'd just go, well, let's just do it. Let's go. And so we're a family. Mackenzie likes to tell people she's so funny. She likes to say that the Roe family are ex- an experienced family. So we travel a lot and so people, all her all her friends, bless, go, you must be so rich. And she's like, no, we're just an experienced family. We just like to experience. I love it. And, which is clearly something I've said, right? Yeah. Because, but because we made a choice. We made a choice and went, do we get into millions and millions of dollars worth of debt and get a, you know, $4 million house that is not going to give me joy because I don't sit at home? No. Or do we just go, let's travel here and travel there because that's the experiences we like to do and we and we chose to do that and yeah. and that's something that we, we continue to do. Um, yeah. Well, eventually, that's the one thing that's killing me, the thought of not being able to go overseas, but that's okay. <laughs> well, and, and that ties in nicely to what you were talking about, which is you we got a whole, hopefully everyone else got a whole new appreciation of our own home and how important mm. it was and not necessarily the physical structure or that's a part of it, but the home that we create through our love, through our connections and all of those sort of things. And for me, I've really looked at that same thing around not being able to leave the country and a realisation that all of us as a country, we need to be able to fall in love with our country and do more of those things. I listen to a lot of podcasts and I hear Australians who are living or working overseas talk about it a lot. You have to remember where you mm-hmm. come from. And yes, there's a global view to this about how can we improve things, but this is our this is our home, and it has so much incredible beauty and value. And when we have that appreciation, then we can we can holiday wherever we are and get that same experience, quite possibly a better experience because we've got a different sort of love and appreciation. You you wouldn't know what it's like when you've been on a long trip and you come back through yeah. customs and, and you hear those familiar voices and you're like. I feel good, right? This is home. Oh, I listen to the Qantas song and I start bawling my eyes out. You know, you yeah. talk about your kids saying you're vulnerable. Mine are always like, oh, would you stop crying? Because I just cry over all these emotional things all the time where I'm watching a movie. And But I've never... Want, I've never been more proud to be an Australian than, a, you know, these last six months really, all these last eight months. Um, and I've got friends overseas who with the bushfires would always be checking in going, my God, are you guys okay? And then I look at all them and, and the chaos there and I just think, God, we are so blessed to be here. And that's yeah. why when people hinge and carry on here about stuff, I think, oh, for God's sake, we're so lucky. And, again, I think that's a choice, you know, about what do we choose, you know, with my business. People say to me, "Oh God, is everything okay?" And no, I didn't make money for two months. I literally didn't didn't bill for two months. But when you say, "Is your job keeper?" Yeah, I was down a hundred percent. But then I'm okay with that because it gave us the opportunity to get on top. And I know, and I'm billing, and I know that's going to be okay. But we could sit there and be all morbid about that, or we could choose to go, "Okay, what's the opportunity?" that I'm going to try to tap into because I can't change it. And I think that's one of my big mantras that I try to live by. Don't always, but it's always that, you know, focus on what you can control and and let go of what you can't Um, because when it's so overwhelming otherwise. um, There's so much stuff we can't control um, at work or in uni, but there's heaps of things we can control. And so I try, try, I don't always do it, I try to focus my energy on that. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think in this period of time that we've just been through, we got forced to let go of what we couldn't control because we had none. We had to be here and do whatever we needed to do. And I faced that same thing, right? I'd spent a lot of time and energy getting myself into that sports space and like, okay, cool, awesome. I had new opportunities knocking on my door. And then when that all hits a wall, I was the same. I had a few days, probably more than a few days, where I just sat there going, now now what do I do? I don't want to go something else. But what's interesting is on the other side of that and time for reflection, forced reflection, it's landed me in a place of even more clarity on what I bring, and that may or may not be in sport. And and mm. it's like I'm actually I've got a whole new like appreciation and now intensity, momentum, and everything because it just forced me to get clearer. And mm. well, I'm seeing that a lot of businesses which I'm because I feel for small businesses and a lot of the businesses are you know we're a small business and yet I feel like it's a gift you yeah. never ever ever would take this time to do this and sure short term it's not a gift short term people you know uh, potential losing jobs and and there's some some horrible stuff that can be going on in, in different families um so again I feel very blessed that I don't experience that but short term we've got this opportunity to go, well, you know what, you've got nothing else to do except you've got to think differently. And and this word pivot is getting thrown around, but it is literally that. It's yeah. And some of my little cafes are doing the most innovative stuff. And, you know, my Pilates studio that you only could, that was also my big fear. Oh, my God. It's like, what am I going to do if I don't get to go that? But see, they pivoted and they offered us to have a better home. And now that, so now when they go back to normal, they're going to have two revenue streams. And people like in businesses like mine, which have typically been face to face, will have two or three different revenue streams because it's forced us. So it's a lot of exciting stuff. And I think we can get rid of a lot of the crappy processes that are out there that have just weighed down and been barriers for business or barriers for yeah. even just going to businesses and stuff like that. I'm I'm super excited about a lot of the efficiencies that will come out of this. Um yeah. both personally but also professionally. Yeah, I remember reading at the very start of all of this and, and people um, who were putting a positive spin saying some of the best ideas came out of the GFC, things like Uber right. and Airbnb and, and I'm pretty sure it was those two, but, but different ideas from necessity. And how many people do you know who were forced online because they hadn't been in that space? And then ah. you also look at other people who were ahead of the game and I just caught up with someone just before we jumped on He's exactly in that space, and he's like, you know, I kind of felt like it was a cross out, and I'm like, well, that's because you're already an innovator. You were already looking at what's next, and you put yourself in a position to go when people come to you and go, well, how's business? And you go, it's amazing, and and they're like, well, how? And it's like, well, this, 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 and this, which you're all uh, scrambling to put in. So I think, yeah. like, for me, it's a good lesson that we can get too caught in present but also we can get too caught in future as well because if we're looking too far down the track, that's when we get like can get anxious or start getting ahead of ourselves, yeah. forced to slow down and go, okay, what is most important right now for me and my family? And then with that in mind, then what do I want to do in the future while I keep myself in that presence? Yeah, and just taking for 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 us as a little business, it was around taking little steps. And like I said, for that first six weeks, we were just smashing out stuff. I was like, 
I did, I was looking at myself going, who's this girl? Like I don't, I'm normally not as productive as that. But again, it was because I couldn't go to the shops. I couldn't go anywhere else. I was here. And so it was around just, you know, having a bit of a plan and just staying in that present because otherwise it can get very overwhelming, can't it? And and then you get stuck. When I get overwhelmed, I just get stuck and I do nothing. Um, So just doing something, making progress, the more progress we made, the more, the more ironically that attracts people and they see you doing stuff and, and then they start to get the momentum. And I feel like that's coming back for everyone, which is, is exciting. Yeah. And, and it's a conversation I had yesterday. So I was um, taking a business owner through a session and we were talking about what she needed to do. And, and it was something of a realization for her that I need to go and do that. She goes, but how's that going to make me money? And I just paused and waited for it to hit. And she goes, Oh, when I start doing that, then the money will flow. And I went, exactly. So we get too caught in what we think are the money-making activities, but it's actually those things that fill us with the right energy and the right frequency and the right emotion that will invite in, like you said, they'll attract new people into our life. That that's um, I, I had a few really interesting conversations with some of my speaker colleagues right in the early days, and and now I'm talking they're super successful, yeah. and one of them rang me and said, oh you know oh when are, you know when are you going to start selling? And I said I'm not going to sell. I said I don't think now's the time to sell. I said now's the time to give value, and now's the time to readjust. And and I think let's just give value, and and stuff will come back. And and I was really proud to see that that's a lot of what my colleagues have been doing. Um, because it does come back. It might take a little bit longer, but it comes back. And, and I think the moment you start chasing those short-term dollars, it's when you, it's a, it's a downward spiral, I think. Yeah, 100%. Um, um, the, the law of reaping and sowing. So if we, if we uh, sow and then remove the resistance around what we think, so we put conditions on it. That's when we restrict ourselves. But when we just say unconditionally, yeah. I'll just receive whatever comes from that. And that's when we invite in, like, not just sowing what we, not just reaping what we sowed, but we reap far more because we're not attached to it. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, that might be a good place for us to wrap it up. So nice to see you. You too. We should do this again soon. We will. Sounds good. Thank you, Ian. Thanks for your time. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Love the Thank work you're doing. You. Thank you. And you too. I, I'm very appreciative that you took this time to, to spend with me and I think um, the listeners will have got heaps of value. So thanks. My pleasure. Take care. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Grief Code podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please share it with a friend or family member that you know would benefit from hearing it too. If you are truly ready to heal your unresolved or unknown grief, let's chat. Email me at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com. You can also stay connected with me by joining the Grief Code community at ianhawkinscoaching.com forward slash the grief code. And remember, so that I can help even more people to heal, please subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform.